Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. So I guess after all this time, we should probably reintroduce ourselves. Yes, that's right. We are back and you are listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro. I'm pleased to make your acquaintance or reacquaintance once again. And as always, you know me. I'm joined by my awesome friend and kick-ass co-host, the one and only Chris Sinzak. What's going on, brother? How you been? Oh, I'm good. It's nice to meet you finally. Yeah, it seems like <laughs> So basically, we uh, we blew up Kissmas in July. That's done. We're never doing that again. I'm thinking like Kiss Madness in March. Or something like that. Who knows? You know, we we got to make repercussions for this, you know, somehow or another way. But we shouldn't be doing that in July anymore. I've learned the last few years, and this year has proved it beyond a doubt. Yeah, it's uh, we've we've had a long time off. There's been a lot going on. Um, obviously, Rock and Pod, we had to deal with, and we got through it, and it was great. And we will do a full recap episode in the future, but not now because my wife's not letting me talk about it really. So. Yeah, well, and and the other thing, too, we blew up was our 10-year anniversary, so I guess somewhere down the line we'll celebrate that as well. But, yeah, Decibel Geek, decade of it. Yeah, we, um, yeah, the, I mean, this year is our 10th year. I mean, we, we passed the official date already, but, um, but yeah, we're right around the time where you came on board in the year, I think. I think it was around... Se- we're so busy, we can't even celebrate our 10-year anniversary. <laughs> we should do it soon. I mean, I mean, and that would, I think a live stream would be good for that with friends coming on. But uh, That's a good idea. But yeah, it's um, it's been very busy. A lot going on. A lot of recovery time from the expo and everything. And um, but yeah, we'll go into detail about that later. But you are gonna, you know, get one of the one of the great benefits of doing Rock and Pod today because we have an amazing interview with uh, Carmine Apice and Vinny Apice that Aaron and I did live in front of an audience at uh, SIR in Nashville. Man, it was so awesome. Laura welcomed us into legendary SIR, showed us some amazing relics of rock and roll history. Then we got to go into the back room where the brothers are doing their master class, and we're seeing them interact with young drummers and you know fans and people that idolize them. You know, it was really cool to see these people that you know went the extra mile to be a part of that special thing on Sunday, and got to meet some amazing people down there got to meet up with some of our friends 
and hang out and have a great time. And like Chris said, when it was all said and done, we sat down on stage. We had everybody pull their chairs up nice and close. We kind of sat around campfire style and shot the breeze with the Brothers of Peace. And it was awesome. These guys are amazing. And they were so cool that day. We thought, you know, we got to record this. We got to share this with the people. So making our grand return (laughs) to the podcast waves. We're back. And we're more dedicated than ever. So if you're a Decibel Geek VIP, get ready. I've got some stuff coming your way. If you're a KISS fan, the Torpedo Dudes is coming back. Stay tuned for that. As always, we every so often do Friday Night Live, normally with our friend Rock and Ron Runyon. Man, our hearts and minds and prayers and everything that we can give is going out to Rock and Ron right now. This episode dedicated to him. He made it all the way from Colorado to Nashville to be at Rock and Pod this year. And that in itself was a miracle because Ron, man, at first, he wasn't doing so great. But man, after a little while, he warmed into it and was having a great time. And everybody was so happy that he came. But we're going to give you the whole recap of the whole weekend coming up maybe next week maybe the week after because we got some cool things we want to share with you and we're going to start it out right here with this one from SIR Studios live in front of a studio audience Chris Sinzak, Aaron Camaro the Decibel Geek Podcast and we're talking to the Apiece Brothers enjoy my hearing aids in now. I should put them in. What? Huh? Yeah, make this louder, too. Make this louder than his. You know, last night <laughs> we went, this is funny, last night we went to uh, Sandy Gennaro's house. So being a drummer for 40, 50 years, you eventually lose your hearing, the top end from the cymbals. So I had my hearing aids in. Sandy had his in, and my buddy Crazy Dwayne, my, you know, that old guy that was hanging out with me, he used to play with Cactus, he had hearing aids, too. So we go outside, and I'm hearing all these crickets, man. They're like loud as shit. Oh, yeah, the cicadas. So, Vinny, you hear the crickets? No. You don't have the hearing aids. I don't need to hear the fucking crickets. <laughs> <laughs> I think you made out better than they did. Yeah, that's right. What do with the crickets? We, we, I, I took them out, and I said, wow, I can't hear nothing. You know? I couldn't hear anything. I was like, dead. Anyway. All right. Well, Aaron, you want to you want to lead us off here? The, uh, the hazard of the career. Yeah, but man, you're deaf. But I could hear somebody. Play. Oh, oh, that's better. That's I better. could play. I could hear somebody playing out of tune. Yeah. I could hear the wrong notes they're hitting. I hear everything that way. Uh-huh. I can't hear the crickets, but I could hear the band. Sometimes you talk to Vinny. Go what? 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 <laughs> I'm sure you guys had experience with that already. Anyway, nice. Let's move. All right, so we were talking a little bit before we got started here. I'm Aaron Camaro. This is Chris Sinzak. We're from the Decibel Geek Podcast. Chris Sinzak put together this whole weekend for the Rockin' Pod and what you've got going on here today. Saw some of you guys up here playing drums with the brothers, man. I think, so you ask these guys, what did you do today? Holy shit, let me tell you. <laughs> but it was amazing, man. What, well, how does it feel to do these things like this and have like the, the cream of the crop of your fans come out and, and want to be immersed in what you do? I mean, that's got to be an amazing feeling, right? What would you say? 
<laughs> hey, my name is Aaron. <laughs> this this is great doing this stuff because you really get to hang out with people. You get to yeah. like a lot of you guys we met yet uh, yesterday, and uh, it's really it becomes like friends. You know, it's really yeah. cool, and you and can it really started when uh, talk. when we started doing drum clinics. You know, my first drum clinic was 1972. Oh wow! You know, and you get to really meet BC. BC what? BC Vinny always practices his stand up at these things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting that feeling. It's pretty good. Stand up and shout. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, and our new comedy routine, stand up and shout. Yeah. Yeah. We uh we play that in our drum war show. We play it together. Nice. And man, that thing kills. Yeah. You know, really really great. And Ronnie, you know, was a friend of mine. Uh, I knew Ronnie before Vinny did from the old days when uh, when he was playing the Elf and played with Deep Purple and I was playing with Cactus, you know, and that's when I met him. But And uh, I was asked to join Rainbow with Richie Blackmore when Ronnie's were the Wait a minute, wait a minute. You got to answer his question. What's the question? When did you, when were you asked oh, to no, join Rainbow? What was it like to do oh, these? Oh, what was it like? I'm sorry. To, to I said do it was these great. things. I said, great. It's like doing drum clinics, you know, from 1972. Getting to meet people. And when we went to th see that thing with Joe Morello, mm -hmm. as I talked about before, Vinny was like that big, pulling my pants. Ed Carm, you go play with him. I said, no, Vinny, you play with him. <laughs> no, That's because I was hungry. I wanted to go have a sandwich <laughs> as a but kid. We, you know, you get to hang out with the people and the fans and that, that have been following you. That guy, that little guy with the, with the glasses, that balding guy. Yeah. This guy goes to every gig in the Midwest that we do. Nice. We've been seeing him, what, 10 years, 15 years, every gig. He just went to a bunch of Vinny's gigs. He's going to my gig. He's telling me, you're going to be at the Token Lounge. I said, I am? Are you sure that's not Vinny? <laughs> I think it's you. You're playing I think it's token. us too, but I later. Yeah. Later. He's not coming to any gigs because Carmine called him bald. And <laughs> <laughs> he left. He left. Yeah, just now. Well, can we get back to the Deep Purple story? Because I want to hear yeah, that now. Rainbow. A rainbow, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, so, um, so Richie, I knew Richie from you know, Vanilla Fudge days. And, and uh, he said, uh, he called me, or his, one of his representatives called me and said, we are, we, Richie wants you to play with Rainbow. And I, I said, who's in it? He said, uh, Ronnie Dio and uh, Bob Daisley and all these good guys. And I said, oh, man, I'm signed to MCA Records. I'm doing, I'm doing this record called KGB with Mike Bloomfield. You know, and in those days, once you signed to a label, it was a main, you know, like a, a major label, you can't just leave and go sign with somebody else. It happened to me again when I had King Cobra. John Sykes and David Coverdale asked me to join Whitesnake just before they did that huge record. Wow, yeah. And I said, I can't do it because I got King Cobra. I got my own snake to deal with. <laughs> and then I said, why don't you get Ainsley Dunbar or somebody like that? And they got Ainsley and they sold 27 million albums. Yeah. Wow. And I went, <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. But you never know, you know. The business. <laughs> it's the yeah. business. Yeah. Can't predict those things. Yeah. I, w I wanted to know, I, I had to think about this before we got, have you, was there ever a point in time where you both were, like, your respective bands you were in actually toured together? No, the closest we've no. been was he was playing with Ozzy in Europe and I was playing with Dio. Mm -hmm. And we, we were kind of on the same routes. 
same but buildings, different times, right. two days ahead, three uh, days ahead. So we started writing on the wall. Hey, Carmine, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> welcome. And we go to the dresser. Hey, there's a message from yeah. Carmine. Yeah. And he'd go and see. And in messages. those days, you didn't have cell phones, so you say, Hey, Vinny, check out the I message. I was texting in the dressing yeah. room. It was just right on the <laughs> you wall. Couldn't do that. Wow, yeah. that's too funny. But we never played together. Never yeah, on the, the same build. Gotcha. <coughs> oh man. Only so, time we did that really is at some clinics. And when we started doing the drum wars thing, and mm -hmm. and that's a lot of fun because we do all, you know, both of our songs that were hits, mm -hmm. and some of them we play together, some of them we play individually, and then we do stuff like we just did with the drums in between it all, and it's a really a different kind of show, you know. Yeah. How did the drum wars idea kind of take shape, and when 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 did you guys decide to start doing those? It started from a clinic. Clinic tour. We had clinic, clinic tour book actually. back in '88. Back way back when, yeah, 1988, and uh, Sabian put it on, and and we did a drum, cl drum yeah. clinics together. Well, we didn't know what we were doing; we just did our res respective thing, and yeah, God knows what it. If we and then we play at the end like we just did a little yeah. bit, mm -hmm. but we didn't have anything. And then, uh, but it went very well. And then we <coughs> yeah. figured and then we had a to family, do more, but we didn't have time to do it after that. We had mm -hmm. a family business of a video company called Power Power Rock Videos, and. You know, we had done some uh, clinics and, you know, different people's clinics, uh, Slim Jim Phantom and Tristan Bowden and people like that. And then I said, man, we should do a, a drum wars clinic. And and whoever wins the drum war wins the name, a piece or apathy. Well, I explained <laughs> to you how that came about before. Yeah, yeah you heard, right? you heard that, how that happened. So anyway, so, so we're doing it. But we really didn't know what the hell we were doing. Mm -hmm. You know, so we just had a friend of ours came with a video camera and followed us around. We said we put little skits together, like like they put me in a chair with shaving cream on, and Vinny was coming at me with with two razor blades. I'm gonna shave my mustache off, you know, <laughs> stupid stuff, you know. And then we went to the Rainbow and we'd ask them, hey. Who do you think is going to win? You know, and some people say Vinny's going to win, Carmine's going to win, and somebody flips a coin, it falls on the floor, and and heads is Vinny, tails is me, and it's it's Carmine. You know, it's just <laughs> stupid stuff. You know, and then we did the preliminary. We played with Jennifer Batten and uh, Alfonso Johnson, right? Wasn't you know? And we did uh, the Ocean, you know, by Zeppelin. Nice. And we played it together, and then it went back to the silliness of the video, and then after the video. Uh, at the end, we had this chick who was on Eyewitness News, Francesca Capucci, her name was, and she was uh, she had she had the mic that said Power Rock News on it and all that. And it was really hilarious. So then at the end, my older brother Frank calls in. So we said, Oh, here, here comes Frank on a satellite phone. It was, you could tell it's a regular phone where you push the button in an office, you know. And the then sound he, effect. And, yeah, and then he says, They're both wrong. It's a peach. <laughs> so she said, "Oh my God! So we've been doing all this for nothing. It's a peach. So that—that's how we ended it, you know. And then we, you know, we we did some clinics together. So I said, well, why don't we try and put a show together? Let's do a clinic show, and then let's do a regular show, you know. So we tried. Well, we did, it. No, we did the clinic stuff, and then yeah. we realized, well, you really can't play a drum clinic at a club or something with right. people drinking. It's yeah. pretty boring. Right. So we decided to make it more of a show and more add elaborate. the band and all the music from our histories. Yeah. So we play about 12 songs in the set. and 
But then it really, bits and some it really developed in Europe. We went to Europe and did not how many shows in that first tour, like 20 shows. And then we'd say, oh, you know what? We should do Mob Rules, you know, the band. You guys know it? Yeah, okay, we'll play it together. And then we did something else, and, and we kept adding stuff, subtracting stuff, and we turned it more from a drum show, like a clinic kind of drum show, into a, a rock show. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, we've done. Yeah. I mean, we, we played a place up in uh, Dickinson, where was North Dakota or South Dakota, some Dakota. And uh, before we got there, they did a subway contest. Oh yeah, yeah. Carmine had the says Carmine, vote now for Carmine's tuna fish sub. <laughs> and I was the meatball sub. <laughs> I swear to God, I thought yeah. I was going to win. I lost. Yeah. Oh. People voted, and it was on the subway Tuna fish sign. all the way. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the highlights. Yeah. It was fun. Man, what a cool but city. Have, I want to go there. A, we have a good time doing it. And and then we do the meet and greets after the show, and we meet a lot of the fans. You know, it's really great to see fans like that have been following us our whole career, you know? There was a, there was a gentleman at the expo yesterday who he he pulled out a vanilla fudge songbook oh, from yeah, like the guy with that looked like yeah, Duck Dynasty. Yeah, oh and, my God. yes, <clears throat> yeah, that guy was. He's a major fan. <laughs> he had every major fan. Yeah, and then it was like, you know, I'm trying to do other things, and he keeps talking to me. And I tell you the truth, I had the hearing aids in. You couldn't hear a freaking word. I couldn't he was understand <laughs> the word he was saying. He's oh, from no. like hillbilly town. Yeah, pretty pretty you know? southern sounding. Yeah, well, yeah, he I couldn't understand him at all. Mm-hmm. Just like, uh, did you guys ever watch this Ted Lasso on, uh, um, no, I guess not. It's a, a southern guy from Atlanta or, or somewhere south. He goes to England to coach. He's an American football coach. He goes to England to coach a uh, soccer team. Uh, okay. So between the English accent and his, and his southern accent, you got to have the captions on there. You don't know what the <laughs> hell they're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting hearing him say, Carmine. Oh, man. I, I, I had to do this yesterday. After a while, I was talking to the guy for a while. I was trying to be nice, you know. Yeah. So after a while, I said, oh, man, I, I got to get back to my business. I went, excuse me. Fake phone call thing. And I went over to Vinny. I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Vinny. I said, I have to have to do this. And then Leanne, my... Your assistant. My what? Your escort. My escort. <laughs> said, oh, he's got other things to do now. And he said, okay, Carmine, I'll see you. Well, Carmine, we have a surprise for you. We have him here in the back. <laughs> Let's bring him out, folks. Come on, come on out. <laughs> yes. Accompanied by an angry, balding man. Right. <laughs> oh, that was the other guy. Actually, we have him, too. Yes. You guys, both of you, come out. Which guy? Which guy? Another guy? Carmine, this is your weekend. <laughs> this is your life. Yeah, what's that guy's name? I can't remember his name. Yeah. Have you seen him before? No, yeah, oh. I met him for the first time. So I brought him in, huh? You brought him in. Yeah. It's your fault. One of my, one of he my was fans. enthusiastic. <laughs> well, with the drum wars thing, let me ask you. Like, uh, so since you're working on each other's material with that, what stuff do each of you? What, what particular songs do each of you? respect the most of what each other has done mm-hmm. well for me one of my favorite songs or two with dio was uh uh we rock mm-hmm. and yeah. stand up and shout yeah yeah, yeah. Love those. and he played his <laughs> butt off yeah. 
you know. And, I love, and when we play together, when we, love when we do stand up and shout together, you know, Vinny starts, I, yeah, he starts, and then I join him. When the two drums are going, playing that same kind of groove, it's just like a freaking, tr- it's like a locomotive. You I know? really can't think of any. <laughs> <laughs> we Rock was my wedding song. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> he kicked ass Blue Murder and, uh, oh, yeah. and then the original Keep Me Hanging On. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. That was like the one thing I impressed my mother with this weekend because she came out for a few minutes and she's always like, I've never heard of any of these people you have. And I was like, well, you've heard of Carmine. She's like, I know that name from somewhere. I was like, do you remember the song You Keep Me Hanging On? I love that song. I was like, that was his band. Uh, So I was like, I finally impressed my mother thanks to you. (laughs) (laughs) It's taken all these years. My my fans span generations. That's right. Yeah. Now it's like, my grandfather loves you guys. Right, right. Cool and you had to really, play these places, and a really nice chick comes. Really out funny. Goes, I had lunch. My with, grandfather loves you guys. <laughs> I had lunch with Pamela <laughs> Dubois, right? Yeah. How did you? Pamela was the wild groupie in the seventies and sixties, and we're talking about. I said, you know, you know, it's really changed. I said, I used to go like hang out with my rocker friends and say, "Hey, man, well, did you have fun last night? Did you meet some hot chick and blah blah blah. And did you smoke some pot, you know." No, man, we took some acid. I said, now I talk to my friends. I said, how's it going? Well, I just got my new blood pressure pill. I'm on two cholesterol pills. And she goes, look at this. And she pulls out a bag of vitamins. I said, wow, have things changed. Little blue vitamins. She was a groupie. Little blue vitamins. Now she takes vitamins. It's too funny. Anyway. I'm hogging the question. That's awesome. <laughs> so you guys, I mean, everybody that loves and appreciates these guys, I think over the years with bands, you think everybody, the common thing is, oh, the lead singer is so flashy, and the guitar player, look what he can do. But if you really love music, you really love rock music, you understand how important a rhythm section is to a band and how that really makes or breaks a band. It doesn't matter how good the singer and the guitar player is without the backbone. If the almighty power came down to you guys and said you may choose only one bass player to share your rhythm section power with, who would you choose from your careers? What would you say after if? <laughs> if you had to choose. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I told you you were going to get your balls hey, busted today, Aaron. Uh, oh, now the crickets are here. <laughs> what was that thing from yesterday, that, that line that we had at Sandy's house? The line. That line that uh, Bob Kulik said, what gives you the right to ask him that question? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Bob Kulik interview yeah, I've had. <laughs> what, what's the name of that band? <laughs> and, uh, the, and the big uh, lawyer Blackjack, from New York. Blackjack. 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 Yeah. And the big lawyer, when they had a meeting and said, I got Ted. Uh, Tom, Tom, Tom. Let me, let me tell a story, Vin. <laughs> I got Tom Dowd. To produce you guys, in the band was Michael Bolton, uh-huh. Sandy Gennaro, yeah. uh, this guy. Um, Bruce Kulik. Bruce Kulik, yeah. Bob Kulik, and Jimmy Haslip, yeah. tremendous, a really great bass player. And, and this guy, Steve Weiss, was my lawyer for a while. He Vanilla Fudge, Led Zeppelin, Jeff Beck Group, The Rascals, The Yardbirds. You know, just went on and on. He's a real powerful guy. So he got them a deal on Polydor, you know, and he brought everybody in. You know, he brought everybody in. So they had a meeting, and, and, and the lawyer says to, to everybody, I got Tom Dowd, who's a major producer, to produce you. And, you know, Bob thinks he's a producer. And he goes, 
what gave you the right to get a producer for us? Right? Wow. So the whole night at Sandy's house. Well, we were, then, then we the next thing was he was out of the band. Yeah, uh, he was out of the band. Uh, out of the band. <laughs> but the rest of the night was, he goes, do you want some coffee? Uh, yeah, take sugar. What gives you the right <laughs> to tell me to ask me if I want sugar? It was hilarious. Everything was oh. what gives you the right, and we were cracking up. But anyway, answer his question. God bless What's Bob Kulik. Bass player? Bass player. If Bass you could player. only have one, the one that you clicked with better than anybody ever. Geezer Butler. Yeah! Wow. I knew that. Wow. Geezer rocks. Geezer's a busy bass player, Yeah. so I calm down a little bit when I play with Geezer, you know, as opposed to when I played with Jimmy Bain and Dio. He kind of pedaled along, don't boom, 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 that yeah, kind of shit. So he's, he's got two, really. Yeah, yeah. so two. But I'd say he's a butler I, and uh, I can't pick. Diff- I got the difference two. of them, between them, you know. You got, I got two? I got also. two. All right, what are the two? Tim Bogart. Of course, yeah, of course. Yes. absolutely. And Tony Franklin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and Tony, yeah. yeah. Tony's like, I like, like I said, Tim Bogart's oh, like high energy. Yeah. Like yeah. And Tony Franklin is like Jimmy Grooving, but except like the Fresslers, man. The Fretless just sings. Yeah. You know, yeah. those are my two favorite. And, and Tim's gone now, so, right. you know, I've done a lot of work with Tony. He's awesome. Yeah, Tony's great. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's a good question. So um, can we get any tour stories? I mean, is, like, is there any uh, particular interesting – is there any tour – like, is that, we're KISS fans, so we hear about KISS getting thrown off of tours earlier in their career. Were you ever on a tour where you got thrown off or, like, upstaging – the the band you were opening for. Actually, we did get thrown off the Ten Years After tour with Cactus. Yeah. Yeah, we were killing them every night, you know. And uh, after a while, we were gone. <laughs> yeah. We got uh, kicked off the Cactus tour because we were showing them up. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> every night. <laughs> 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 No, we never got thrown off the tour. <coughs> oh, okay. We were the tour, that's why. Yeah. yeah. You know, I did get in trouble one time. It was with Black Sabbath after I joined. It's been about three months into the tour. Playing some outdoor show, and this is on the Heaven and Hell album tour. <coughs> outdoor festival, and Johnny Van Zant's opening. You know, he's the opener. And um, so what used to happen is we'd arrive at the gig. We wouldn't do a sound check. So I'd like to get up. There's a big curtain with their logo, their backdrop, Johnny Van Zandt. And they're playing. And I go with my guy and go up on the drums and just make sure everything was right and tap them, you know. So then the next thing you know, they're complaining that I was playing during their set, you know. <coughs> but I was like, ding, ding, ding. I wasn't playing like this, you know. But yeah. uh, they made a big stink. And then we threw them off the tour. Uh, we were the headliners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then one time with the Motorhead, it was Dio, Motorhead, and somebody else. And uh, remember Vito DeVito, my yeah, drum tech? Yeah, the drum tech. Pretty, pretty crazy dude. Uh, he comes up in the dressing room. It's Motorhead, and this one, Dio, got smaller. We were open. There was three bands, Dan, somebody, Dio, and Motorhead. And he comes, he goes, hey, Vinny, they want to borrow... Motorhead needs one of your cases, like road cases for something. I said, what? It's Motorhead. They don't have their own fucking cases, you know? <laughs> I said, fuck that. Fuck them. You know, just meaning like, you know, New York. Hey, fuck up. 
And he goes and tells Lemmy, Vinny said, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I go, what? Sure, that so it come, now it comes back. Here's big. The funny thing is, here's big badass Lemmy, right? The, the radical dude and the, the rebel. And they come in and go, Lemmy's not going to give you the lights because you said fuck you to the band. <laughs> you have to go apologize to Lemmy. <laughs> I sat there and went, <laughs> big badass Lemmy? This guy, you know, God, he could chew the, the, the Jack Daniels bottle after it's finished. <laughs> right. it's yeah. I got to go apologize for this? He stupid started this shit, you know? So I went in the dressing room. Hey, Lemmy, hey, sorry about that. He, I don't know what he was on about, but it was just a big mix-up. And I just said, hey, you don't fuck it. Like, you know, I'm from New York. Oh, man, that's cool, man. And it was fine. Get the lights back. Yeah, I got the lights back. That's too. funny, though. <laughs> Would you imagine, like, Lemmy kicking in the door? <laughs> what? You know, like, no, you see these guys. You go, man, he's badass. I need an apology. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Please apologize. Or no lights. <laughs> But he was, you know, he was cool, and he's good yeah, friends he's with cool Ronnie guy. and stuff. Yeah. He's, this guy just started trouble, you know. Yeah. But I, I thought that was so funny. That's funny. I, I, well, I should have filmed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going into Motorhead's dressing room to, to apologize, apologize to Lemmy now. Yeah. So check it out. Could, yeah. Could you imagine one, the, one one time? Wait. wait uh, no, no. Go ahead. I'm gonna tell stories. That's what you want to yeah, no, go, go for it. Story. Yeah. Please. Uh, we used to get all sorts of food backstage with Dio, right? So. Just get a lot of meatballs, and pasta. You know, Ronnie and I are Italian, and uh, so one time we left like one meatball left in the thing, and uh, we planned the whole thing. And one of our crew came in and he ate the meatball, and then I waited about ten minutes. And I come and go, where's the meatballs? And Ronnie, oh shit, he he did. And I'm and we filmed it. And I'm started. The fuck? Are you fucking my meatballs. Those my meatballs. <laughs> and the kid was almost crying. <laughs> my fucking meatball, man. Just fuck. Yeah. Did shit like that. One more dressing room food story. In the first Dio tour, or second tour, so we got all the food. We get a lot of Indian food and Italian food. And back then, it was like party time. After the show, we go back to the dressing room, and there's plenty of booze and food. And everybody would come in, guests, the record company, and there'd be 20, 30 people in the dressing room. And then finally, when the night went on, they'd leave. We'd go, man, I'm starving, you know? And everything was gone. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, there's nothing <clears throat> to eat. I said to Ronnie, I said, dude, let's put price tags on everything. Let's <laughs> yeah. see what happens. So the next night, we put one meatball. Five bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Curry, seven fifty. <laughs> Beer, three dollars. Oh man. Peanuts free. <laughs> Next day, nobody touched anything. <laughs> Dress room was full. That's great. That's and great. Nobody ate our food. I, I mean, it was so funny. Except for the peanuts. <laughs> oh, we didn't great. care about that. That's yeah. great. <laughs> That's awesome. So What'd smart. You say? Yeah. yeah. We, I think we made a bit of money too. <laughs> put the jar $23 yeah. at the end of the night. <laughs> how much is a sandwich? <laughs> yes, but how much is the sandwiches? Well, what do you have? How much that? you got? Cheese? <laughs> is that with cheese? <laughs> 10 cents more with cheese. <laughs> too funny. But that did it. That's awesome. What's the uh, what's the biggest crowd you think you've played in front of in your career? Right here. 
right here? Yeah. No, okay. This is impressive. It's a small crowd, but these guys are the Yeah. Rock. That's right. <laughs> like quantity versus quality. This yeah. is quality right here. You guys are awesome. What did you play to? Me probably was the Isle of Wight with Cactus. Jimi Hendrix is a headliner. Wow. And it was one of his last gigs, actually. And it was 600,000 people. Wow. And when it gets that big, you don't even see anybody. I mean, you see the first 50 or 60 rows of people in front of you. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes like a painting. Right. You know, the only good thing is I remember we, you know, a lot of when we, those kind of festivals in those days, you just sit on the floor. They bring blankets and just sit down. And then uh, my singer said, come on, get up, let's boogie. And the whole place got up, and it was like a gigantic wave. Of like, Wow. And all the way back, I said, wow, that was unbelievable. Mm. You know? I played with uh, Black Sabbath to 601. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, 601 the next day. people. One extra person yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah. In an arena across town while they were playing. <laughs> yeah, but when Rod Stewart, we used to play with huge... Unbelievable crowds, you know, like his whole life. He's been practicing to be a comedian stand up. This stuff just comes to my head. I don't know what it is. Like, like the thing with the sticks, with, uh, you know, I play with the butt end. And then they asked me at the clinic. This was in South America. I go down to South America and I'm do a drum clinic. So they drive me to the drum clinic. And parts of South Brazil are pretty scary. You know, and it's like six at night, you pull up to this road, and the metal gratings are down, there's nobody on the street, and it's getting dark, there's graffiti, and we pull up, I don't know where the clinic's going to be, this looks like like I'm going to get killed. (laughs) So the guy goes, wait here, I'll be right back. (laughs) I go, what? (laughs) I have no idea where I am. I don't have a cell phone back then, and... I'm going to wait here. So I wait there. Then he, he comes in and goes, okay, come on. And I go in, and it's this nice little theater. Everybody was cool. So I'm playing, and then one kid asks, why do you play with the butt end of the stick? And it just came to me, and I turned it around. I said, because this side, got to wait, is for girls. <laughs> and they started cracking up. And that was a lang- language yeah, so, barrier. Uh, but all this crazy stuff just comes to my head. And I'm not on drugs. We, I remember we did <laughs> clinics in South Swear. America with Michael Badio, the guitar player. Oh, yeah. And same thing. We pulled up to this venue. They had a gate. The guy had a machine gun. Oh, yeah. Right? I said, what is going on here? You know? What were we in, like, uh, World War Three? And they said, oh, it's dangerous around here. And then, again, you walk in. It's a beautiful theater. You know? I wouldn't think mm-hmm. of it. It's yeah. a deserted street. One time we, we played... Uh, well, let me tell a funny story before no. we go. I'm on a roll. <laughs> <We're talking about laughs> on, a roll. We, on, that, on that same tour, right, they had no air conditioning. It was like they had about a 1,000 people in for this clinic thing with Michael Beatty and stuff. It was really hot in the venue. It wasn't air conditioned. So, you know, we, we had to do a break, right? They wanted us to do a break in between. So we come off stage, we're sweating like fuck. So we said to the guy, can you bring a couple of fans? She comes back with two girls. <laughs> so no, not fans, fans. Well, that's better than I asked one. 
I got a hair dryer brought to the room. I said, can you give me a fan? It's fucking boiling in here. And it comes up with a hair dryer. I got a fan. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. You guys talk about sketchy situations, but over the years, I mean, have you ever been in a situation in your heyday, you know, bigger bands, bigger shows, where you were legitimately terrified for your lives? Like, have you ever been in situations like that? Not me. I have. Oh, actually, one time when uh, we played Milwaukee on the Heaven and Hell tour back in 1980 with Sabbath, and we started playing, and two or three songs in, somebody threw, this is when they allowed people to have glass beer bottles. And they threw a bottle on stage of hit geezer and butler in the head. Oh, wow. And he started bleeding. And Ronnie got fucking pissed off and stopped the show. You fucking assholes. He starts, we're out of here, man. And we got off the stage and the people started going boo and crazy. Then they started throwing stuff. They were throwing chairs. They broke the whole arena up. Oh, wow. And then we're backstage. They go, we got to get you guys out of here. They're <laughs> trying to get back here. And it was a little scary, you know. That they were going to kill the band. Right. right. But it was scary enough. The cops came. We got to get you guys out of here. But they're blocking the door. They're blocking this. And it was on CNN. It was all over the news. It was like insane. And then uh, finally, we got in some sort of vehicles and got out of there. Yeah. We never went back on because everything was destroyed. I had one in uh, Germany with uh, Cactus again and Jimi Hendrix. That was his last gig, supposedly. And uh, there was a German Hills Angels are called the Rockers. And for some reason, they were tearing the place up and they had machine guns. And wow. right. So we're in the dressing room, all of a sudden we hear boop, 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 Now manager Phil Basile comes in, he's a, he was a mafia guy anyway. He comes in, he goes, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I said, what's going on? He goes, those fucking assholes, they got fucking machines gun and they're shooting everything up. So I remember we're running, we're like, uh, ducking between cars mm-hmm. to avoid bullets. Wow. We, we got in two Mini Coopers and we whizzed out of there. And I thought Hendrix went out there too. You know, I thought we all, all the bands were like getting out of there. And uh, was Kristen from one of the podcasts? Uh, the, the guy that owns uh, Pantheon, Pantheon. Oh, yeah, Christian yeah. Swain, yeah. yeah. And I, he did a, a thing about Hendrix and he talked about that. And I said to him, I said, dude, I don't think you're correct. I was there. Oh, wow. I said, I don't think Hendrix went back on. I said, we all got out of there. You know, I don't think Hendrix was going to go back and play. Mm. You know? Yeah, you no. wouldn't think so. Not after machine guns. <clears throat> no. Hell no. no. Unbelievable. That was really ridiculous. So you, yeah, so you worked, you worked with Hendrix at the very end of his life. So did you get to know him pretty well at the time? Yeah, I knew him before before he was Jimi Hendrix. When he's, oh, really? Jimmy James used to play the clubs in New York. And, yeah, uh, Nashville, too. He was here But, you know, what? Another, another time, sort of like Vinny, we were playing with Jeff Beck in Berlin. And, you know, we, we used to have two American flags and the British flags as our background, you know, as our backdrop. And we stopped playing, and they kept yelling out, take the flags down, take oh. the flags down. And Jeff kept saying, we're not being political. That's where we're from, you know. We're just, it's just our backdrop, you know. And, and I was mostly the front man in that band from the drums. And I'm telling them, relax, it's, you know, they don't mean anything. So then somebody throws a bottle throws it, and it sticks into the shell of my tom-tom, Ooh, right? Wow. And that pissed me off, man. I said, I said, what the fuck is wrong with you assholes, you know? 
Next thing we know, take the flags down. It just says, you can go fuck off. And we walked off the stage. I had one of these big Afghan coats, you know. And all of a sudden, every bottle in the place was thrown at the stage. Oh, shit. You know. And then another one hit my tom-tom. And I was ready. I saw the guy that threw it. I was ready to run out and kick his fucking ass, you know. <laughs> wow. And my roadie's playing, get back here, get back here. And same thing, we got, you know, we were in the dressing room, and they tore the whole place up, yeah. you know. It was all over the news in Europe, you know. And we never went back there. That's why there's no bottles at yeah. shows, yeah. which yeah. is smart. No, that's good. You get hit with a plastic cup. It's like, hey, stop that. <laughs> <laughs> with you yeah i've heard some <laughs> stories about bands having firecrackers thrown up on stage has that ever happened to you firecrackers yeah no, no. i never had fire but in, in england if when you went over there with a new band they would spit on you oh yeah, yeah i heard they because that, that meant they, yeah. they, liked, they liked you yeah i've heard about and, that you know really loogies and yeah. everything man whatever came out when it, on the stage i didn't know that it's a strange oh, yeah. way of saying the time yeah. but dio we went over the first time we got and they were spitting at you? great respect no oh. they didn't dare spit on us say, that didn't sound but right i've <laughs> seen it before <laughs> spitting on these poor yeah, guys i never went over there with a band that was spit on yeah <laughs> i have to say wow yeah i've heard of that before though so we talk about like scary shit getting thrown up on stage what's the craziest thing you've ever seen somebody throw up on the stage throw up Throw up. Throw up, yeah. Not not counting the band members. but to, Somebody threw from something From the audience yeah. to... I remember being on tour with KGB with Joe Cocker, and every time there was a solo, he was throwing up in, the, in a basket on the side of the stage. He was, like, still doing heroin. <laughs> well, that's a different shit. throw oh, up. Different throw Yeah, up. that's... <laughs> he means yeah. throw, throw We've had, yeah. you know, yeah. underwear and bras and oh, panties yeah. and pot. Hey, let me tell you, yeah. when the pot Lewis, came up back pot. then when it wasn't legal... Ronnie, get the pot. Get the pot. <laughs> <laughs> the pot. <laughs> so I'm bag there. Uh, uh, no, I got the one for the pot. Rainbow in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> kicking it over to get the, I got the one stage. We were playing Manchester with, with BBA and having a great show. And somebody throws up one of their big fat joints. So one of our road crew picks it up, you know, and takes a hit. The other road guy takes a hit. Tim Bogart walks over, takes a hit. And while Jeff's doing a solo, I went over took a hit. And then playing the show, and then I'm looking, I'm going, where's the freaking roadies? You know? <laughs> Where'd the roadies go? So we stop the show. Yeah, uh -huh. we finish the show. We get off, and Jeff's manager, who is a lawyer, says, I said, where are the fucking roadies? He says, Oh, sorry, darling. They've been arrested. Oh, no. For smoking pot, smoking hash and pot on stage. And you and Tim are arrested, too, but they're letting you finish the encore. Oh. <laughs> I said, get the fuck out of here. You're kidding me. He says, no, it's true. So I said, so we went up, finished the encore. Sure enough, we come out, and two Bobbies, cops, were waiting for us. And, uh, but first, we went in the dressing room, and you know, we dried off, and, and we said to them, would you like something to eat, <laughs> to the cops? Yeah. And they said, no, we're okay, and we got changed. And, and they walked us over to the police station, and we got booked. After we got booked, then they offered us something to eat. <laughs> right? It was the weirdest thing. And then like a month later, we had to go to court in Manchester, and we got a conditional discharge, which meant in, the, in 12 months, if we didn't get busted again, we wouldn't go to jail. And, you know, we left. 
We yeah. went back to New York. We weren't back there again. And it was unbelievable, you know? It's like, you've been busted, but they're letting you finish the encore. That's funny. <laughs> Can you imagine that in New York or Chicago or something? Forget about it. Forget about it. It was so polite. <laughs> anyway. You guys have any questions? Yeah. yeah, you would. <laughs> I thought you were going to hear from me. Give it a mic so we can. Yeah, hear let's it. let's do this. I don't have my hearing aids. Yeah, pass it, pass know. it around like a joint at a vanilla yeah, fudge show. Yeah. Um, what was your guys' first drum set like when you very first started playing? Like you were interested, and maybe you didn't have the best set, but what was that? What did it look like? And okay, well, it has to start with me. Yeah, okay, start with yes, him. Both of you. Because. We have actually on my father's side of the family seven drummers, okay? And all of them but one is, has the last name A-P-P-I-C-E, Cousin Tommy. God knows what he would call it. Apache, Apache. Yeah, right? So my cousin Joey had the first set of drums. Well, now, he was an Apache or the piece. He was very yeah, He wasn't. So every time I used to go to his house, Vinny wasn't even born yet, I, he'd have the drums, and I'd get on the drums and start playing. And then I go home and I take out the pots and pans and start banging <laughs> on the pots and pans, drive my mother crazy. You know? And then finally they bought me these toy drum sets you know, for Christmas. And I'd have them for about two days and they were destroyed. You know, because in those days the toy drum sets had paper oh, drum yeah, heads. It was really bad. And then, you know, this kept going on for years. So finally, my birthday is in December and 10 days before Christmas. So. At one time, I must, must have been 11 or 12, my, my parents said, how would you like to get a real drum set for your birthday and Christmas? I said, great. So we went to the first Sam Ash store in Brooklyn, and way on top of the shelf was a snare drum, a bass drum, and a cymbal, $55, right? So we bought it, and I was like, what wow, huh? no brand, it was just, Brandless. Yeah, it was brandless. It had a, a cymbal stand that, you know, attached to the cymbal with a clip. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. The cymbal was that big. You know? But to me, it was like, great. And I, my grandfather, we lived in my grandfather's house. He was a shoemaker. So he had downstairs a sh little shoemaker shop. So I took one of their, their tables, their classic old you know, dining room tables, and I put it on bricks or cinder blocks, and I made a little stage. I put the drums on there, and I go down there and I play. And, and in those days, you didn't have a record player, the portable record player, and I'd listen to something, I play it, copy. My first album was Gene Cooper and Buddy Rich, you know, and that, that's what I listened to, and I was trying to copy. And my grandfather would be in there banging the shoes, and I'm trying to play this thing. I said, I said, Hey, Grandpa, can you play in this tempo? <laughs> yeah. You know? And he, he's, I my nods, and he start cursing at me in Italian, and they go upstairs. And then I continue. And then I got a real drum set, and I started playing. I met, then I, I went to, uh, to a, 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 I had a band, and we played a gig, and there was one guy that did a solo that was awesome. So he, I said, man, how did you get so good? He says, I studied with this guy, Dick Bennett. I said, wow, give me his number. So I got his number, and I went to Dick Bennett, and I was like down here, this guy was up here. I went in six months. I just passed this guy. I just got so good. And then it was great. And I started playing. I started playing. And then when he was born and he's growing up. And so then he's watching me. And I think after a while I made it. 
And then we, I got a cousin Frankie that played, cousin Anthony that played, my cousin Tommy that played, cousin Joey, you know. My, my son even plays. Remember the time Nick started playing? We said, who the hell's playing the drums? My son didn't know he can play. You know, anyway, so, so he's growing up, and I left the drum set home, and you know, I used to pull into Brooklyn with my full stage gear on, driving my Pantera, you know, nice. in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's very rare. I pull in front of the house, park at the Johnny Pump, right? Yeah. And I walk in, and all the neighborhood kids would come in, and Vinny, and you know, and they'd come, come on, you know, blah blah blah. So, so then, the big Vinny grabs star. me. Vinny grabs me by the <laughs> by the seat of my pants. Says, "Come check this out." So he gets on the drums. I left the drum set at home. My vanilla fudge kit, right? It was Gretsch. Gretsch kit. Red Sparkle. Red Sparkle kit. Great kit to have and now. He, and he sits down. And he starts. Boom, boom, bah, boom, boom, bah, and he's playing. I said, holy shit. I said to my mother, who taught him that? He goes, he's there every day for hours. He's driving me crazy like you did. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. So what do you think? I said, well, he sounds good. Well, what should we do? I said, send him to Dick Bennett, the teacher. <laughs> so he went to the same teacher. And he got good. By the time he was 12, we, we were listening to Billy Cobham exchanging riffs, you know. Thing is, went for lessons for three years, right? The kids today don't have the patience for this. No. All on the pad, pretty much. Except for a jazz book we started, Jim Chapman's classic. It's a yeah. classic book. And we'd go on the drum just for that, then back on the pad. Most first two years, all pad. Yeah. You know, wow. the kids today, that's so tension spans is yeah, big. Yeah, like School of Rock. You can't do it on the yeah, School of Rock. You go in, they're smart because they, they, they teach, teach the kids yeah. a song. Yeah, they teach the song. Because the kid doesn't have, they don't know what they're playing. No. They can play, I can play this. You know, I'm, they don't know. It's like a lot, of, a lot of master classes and clinics today. You go to a clinic, the guy gets up there and he's like, like the young kid that played, he just plays the whole time like that. Stops, goes, any questions? No. And it continues to play. See ya, thank you. And you walk out, you don't learn nothing. Yeah. You know? I mean, we're from the school of, like, if you're going to do a master class, let's try and teach something, you know? Right. That's what it's about, education. You gotta, you know, Keep it going. Play it you know? slow. Yeah. This is four notes. Like I did before on my thing, I did three notes. Check it out. Boom. boom. Yeah. And then you build it into this. Holy shit. Only if you make the face. Yeah. <laughs> And it, like <laughs> well, let's yeah. talk about let's. I have it. But uh, the first drum set was. Yeah, let's talk about my drum set that I left home. Yeah, right? So, I got a Ludwig endorsement, so I got this maple kit that looked like that. Like that. So we had the red sparkle kit at home, which I played. You keep hanging on on it, right? <laughs> so Vinny says. Vinny's wow, thinking, if I take the red sparkle off, it's going to look just like it's his look drums. Just like that. Oh. Right. So he took the red sparkle off. I started off. taking the red sparkle off, and half the wood came off with came it. Off the, oh, all no. the wood. He ruined Holy the whole shit. kit. And that kit would have been worth a lot of money right today. Yeah. And it really pissed me off. But I said, that's nah, all right. I got my new and, and then I, I thought, what am I going to wow. do? This looks like shit. So I went to the fabric store and bought brown of all colors. Vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> cloth. Like it had a, looked like a tablecloth. <laughs> oh, wow. But it had a sticky back. Yeah, like sticky And you stuck contact. it right on there. I put it on there and it had these brown, when I went home, I horrible said, looking drums. What happened here? <laughs> I'm like, uh oh. Yep. 
I didn't like, know that was going to come off with it. You can't take that stuff off. And then, Actually, maybe now, these days. And, and this has nothing to do with off, drumming, but one time I went on the road and I said, Hey, Vinny, I need someone to watch my cat. Can you stay at my house in Long Island? Sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> I went, nice house. So, we went to this house and uh, I brought a couple of friends, you know, and then a couple of friends met us down there. And, uh, you know, I used to smoke a lot of pot. No. I didn't drink really, but I loved pot and. You know, smoke hash and shit. <clears throat> and uh, we all did. And some of the guys had some lewds. And so we were partying in the house, but we started to destroy his house. It's like yeah. uh, there was one room he had, which was a hippie music room. It was, a room. it was red rug, red walls, red ceiling with one of those big light Globe. globes in the middle of the with middle a red bulb out. on a dimmer. So when you get it to a certain point, we, you we, couldn't tell where anything ended, where the ceiling started or the walls. Two giant You smoked some speakers. joints in there, and they had one of those, those furry couch things that were on the floor with two giant speakers, like these things on each side. Big speakers. You sit in there sit stoned, in and you listen to music. Wow. It was like physical. So that was one room. Yeah. So we're in there, and this friend of mine, Nikki, he's a singer. He's moving and dancing, and all of a sudden, a fucking globe Go crashes falls. to the floor and oh, breaks. No. I go, oh, fuck. <laughs> Shit. So, I have a good idea. Let's move the speakers outside on no, top no, of the that's porch. Not, not, no, that's later. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I go, oh, shit, he's going to be pissed. And then I noticed that the 76 gas station had a brick wall. Globes every 10, 5 feet. And the lights in. I go, let's go get one of those globes and oh we'll put God. it back. <laughs> we'll make it work. So we only had bicycles. <laughs> All right. And we stole the globe. And we're riding this big globe on the bicycle back to his house. And we put it on. I don't know what we did. And it looked not so bad. You know, smaller. It looked fucked. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one room. Then, then it, it's like the next day, hey, let's go on the roof and take the sun. You know, the sun was the big thing. Yeah, we had, I had a porch, an enclosed porch, right outside the window of that room. So not, they, not only did they take sun, they took the speakers out, and they were playing it loud. And I got an old lady, a neighbor, you know, and that's how I found out well, about it. Well, we, we put the speakers out there, but then we forgot, and it was nighttime. We're playing the music really <laughs> loud, and it's going all over the neighborhood. And then uh, all then of a I sudden... Came home, the door knocks. Who's at the police? Oh, shit. Yeah. Yes. And I explain, well, Carmine's brother. And as soon as I mentioned his manager, Philly Basile, who's mafia. Yeah, so. Mafia guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're Let's good. keep it down. And they left. <laughs> wow. So that, and then uh, one day I look out the window and the friend of mine's vacuuming the lawn. He's just stoned out of his mind. Yeah. And so we kind of screwed up his house. Yeah. And I said, and then we, I came home. I forgot what I did. We better wax the f tile floor. So I don't know how much wax you used back then. So I got the can of wax, you know, go, dun, 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 dun. Is that enough? It's like the Three Stooges. Yeah, oh, a little geez. more. And wax. And it was a black, was about black, thick. black tile floor. Wow. Right. Screwed it all up. Wow. Yeah, that was crazy. But did they, but speaking, did they, speaking of yeah. Phil yeah. Basile, the mafia guy, you guys all saw Goodfellas, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Henry Hill, that guy, who they, it was about... He was Philly's buddy. Oh, he used to come to our house. Wow. He'd pull up in his Eldorado and say, Hey, come on, I got this stuff. It just fell off a truck. <laughs> he opened his trunk and he got Revox tape machines and fur coats and little TVs. 
hey, man, how much are those Reeboks? They were $700 in the store. How much are those? He goes, yeah, 100 bucks each. I said, oh, give me two. I said, is there any warranty, a guarantee? He goes, yeah, I guarantee. If you break it, I'll give you another one. <laughs> yeah, and then that movie came out, and, you know, the, the, the other guy, Paulie, the, the godfather, we met him, too, you know. In Philly, we say, if Paulie invites you to his house, you better go. It's disrespectful not to go. Because uh, there were times when the mafia tried to get involved in Vanilla Fudge and Jimi Hendrix and all the bands. And... Uh, and Philly sat down with Paulie with the other families and worked out a percentage. And then they realized the bands ain't where they should go. They should go to the record companies. So they infiltrated the record companies instead. But So we owed Paulie a favor. So we had to play in his club in Brooklyn, you know, where we normally got 10 or 15 grand that night. We packed the place and played for nothing. Mm -hmm. you know? And Philly would say, if Paulie invites you to the house, you better go. So one day, me and me, Vinny Fudge, I had an XKE at the time, and I was driving, and Paulie pulls up in his big Cadillac. Hey, come on, Vinny, come on over the house. Oh, great. Last place we want to go to Paulie's house, right? Be all luck what gets raided and we get arrested, you know? So we go to Paulie's house. We walk in the driveway. He's got guys outside the house with machine guns, you know, one on each side. So I said to Vinny, let's have a drink and get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so we had a drink, paid our respect. Hey, Paulie, we got to go. We're going to go record. Okay, see you guys. Whew. What an experience. And then when that movie came out, I said, wow. Yeah. You know? Anyway, so. Those were the days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like it. Does anybody else have a question for these oh, yeah, guys? What happened? We have one question. We have yeah. question. Any, any more questions? Hey, it's only 2 o'clock, so we're good. Yeah. I think that's off, actually. <laughs> Details from the Aussie tour. You, uh, the Aussie tour is nothing but bad stories about Sharon. Oh, uh, I'm so shocked. Tell about the White Castle <laughs> Aussie oh, okay. story. I'll about the White Castle. So we played at um, Nassau Coliseum. And, you know, it's my home turf. I, was, I lived in New York. And... Uh, I was living in L.A. at the time, but I had lived in New York, so I knew everything about Long Island. We played Nassau Coliseum, which is in Long Island. And we had a great gig, and it was wonderful. And then me and Ozzy took a limo back to Manhattan. Ozzy goes, oh, blow, man, you're bloody hungry, mate. I said, oh. He says, anywhere to eat? You know, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. I said, oh, not in I said, oh, wait a minute. We're going to Queens Boulevard. I said, Ozzy, did you ever have a White Castle? Said, no, what's a White Castle? He goes, oh, it's a little hamburger. He goes, oh, no, I love hamburgers. I said, okay. So at the time, I had really black and wild purple hair. You know, at times I walk into the hotel and they think I was Ozzy Osbourne because my hair was so crazy, you know. So we pull up in a limo to White Castle. I get out. I got a, it's in wintertime. I got a black fur coat on with black and purple hair. Ozzy's got a mink coat on with his blonde streak hair. We still, are, we still have our eye makeup on from the show. And we walk into White Castle, and we order, I don't know what we ordered. So I said, I think we better get it to go. And there was all these not very nice-looking people in there. <laughs> so we got it to go. We get in the limo, and we drive back to Manhattan, and we're eating the White Castles and fries and soda in the car. So... 
we had a day off, and then we played Madison Square Garden. So we'd go get a sound check, and then come back, you know, went to, to the hotel, come back for the gig, and I go backstage, and the whole backstage is catered with White Castle. <laughs> he loved it so much wow. that he changed what we ate that night. Everybody ate White Castles. Right. Thousands of White Castles. Oh, man, unbelievable. Wow. You know, it's awesome. It's awesome. Another quick story of Ozzy is when, after I got fired and I was suing a Sharon, you know, I, I put King Cobra together, you know, and we were at Mates. Mates is a, a place where everybody rehearsed. You know, Dio rehearsed there, King Cobra, and Ozzy was rehearsing there looking for new drummers. He already been through one drummer after me, Tommy Aldridge, and then he fired Tommy and they were looking for somebody else. So. I had this huge deal with Capitol Records for King Cobra, uh, you know, record deal, publishing deal, merchandise deal. I had you know, a lot of money to spend. So I bought a truck, I bought a mobile home, a motor home, and I bought a van. I bought my father's van, actually, from my father. And, and I wanted to paint it all white, you know, so everybody looks uniform. So I'm in, I'm in the maid's parking lot because we're rehearsing there, and my ro I had five roadies, and they were painting. One of them was an auto painter. So we were painting the, the mobile, the mobile motorhome. I keep getting mixed up the motorhome white. So I'm up there. I'm a little ladder. And I'm putting up the uh, paper on the windows so the windows wouldn't get sprayed. Mm -hmm. So Ozzy's rehearsing, you know, audition. He comes over. Hey, Carl, how are you? I says, I know you're having problems with my missus, but I hope we can be friends. I said, hey, Ozzy, I know it's not you. We're good. She goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm putting this up so I can paint it. My, my roadie's going to paint it. He goes, you need any help? I go, sure. <laughs> so I put Ozzy up on this little step ladder. I shouldn't have done it because, he, you know, I didn't know what condition he was in. And he's, I'm on one side. And he's on the side of his double window. And we're putting this thing up. He said, so what's this for? I said, this is my, instead of renting a bus, I bought this motorhome. You know, this way I always have it, and I don't have to worry about renting a bus. So it was my new band, King Cobra. I said, we're about to go in and run through the set. You want to hear some of it? He goes, sure. So we run in, and one of the first times we ran in the whole set, we had a stage set and everything. And we in, and Ozzy was our only audience. Wow. wow. Right? And, he, and uh, you know, we ran through about three or four songs. And he's waving, uh, I got to leave. I said, okay. So, so he comes over and goes, I like the band. <laughs> I like the band. <laughs> That's funny, though. That yeah. 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 That's awesome. Anyway. Cool. Any other questions for you? Bottom stories? Bonham? Bonham? Uh, I mean, we took Led Zeppelin on the first tour. Nobody knew who Bonham was. You know, it's hard to believe. He was like unknown. They didn't know who Zeppelin was. <clears throat> yeah, they didn't yeah. know who Zeppelin was. Didn't they boo them when they... Yeah, on the first show, they booed them off because they weren't beyond. It was a show with Vanilla Fudge and Spirit. It was in Denver, 8,000 people sold out. And my agent said to the promoter, come on, Barry. Barry Fay is the promoter. It's Jimmy Page's band, 1,500 bucks, Led Zeppelin. It's a new band. I don't need them. We're sold out. I'll tell you what. You play 750, Vanilla Fudge will play 750. Okay, so we ended up paying them to be on our show. <laughs> they came on, 
they played and they started getting booed. Bring on the fudge, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> but I but I saw Bono play. I said, man, he's awesome. I loved him, you know. And I was always the kind of guy, like, you know, that the roadie, I'd hang out with the road crew, the, the opening band's road crew, the different drummers, you know. And uh, But I really liked then a, him. Then a little later on, you saw Robert Plant and told him what, what he should do on stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was funny. And they played a bunch of gigs with us. But I really like Bonzo. And then we're walking to Santa Monica Boulevard with me and Tim Bogan and Robert Plant. And I said to Robert, I said, you know, you should move around a little more. Yeah, it'll be better if you moved around a little more. If you don't move around, you might not yeah, yeah. get anywhere. Think about it now. He never moved, you know. It's funny, right? But anyway, so then, uh, you know, Bonzo saw my big drum set that I had, the maple kit that... Vinny liked that he tore my drums apart for. I could have worked on his too. Yeah. <laughs> and he had this little little Ludwig kit like the one that except I had the twenty six bass drum that Vinny ruined. That was the first twenty six bass drum in rock that Vinny ruined. Anyway, so he said, Man, I would love to get an endorsement and get a drum kit like that. I said, Oh, let me okay, kid, let me see what I can do for you. <laughs> so I called Ludwig and I said, There's a new band. I'll send you the record. John Bonham is his name. Great band, Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page band. He's got a great foot on his song, Good Times, Bad Time. You know? I think they're going to be big. <laughs> the understatement <laughs> of five decades. Right? And then when I, when I met Bonzo, I said, man, I love that Good Times, Bad Time thing. It's awesome. Where'd you get that? How'd you think of that? He goes, I got it from you. I said, no, I don't do that. And he pointed out on one record that I did, I went like bop, 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 like that. I didn't continue it like he did. He said, so I got that, and I just kept doing it. I kept repeating it, and I kept practicing until I got it. I said, dude, where did I do that? <laughs> it's like I said before, I just play a record. I don't know what I did. And he pointed it out on the Vanilla Fudge record, which I don't remember now, which I think was Renaissance. Mm -hmm. He pointed it out exactly on the song, you know, because we had record players that we took on the road, and he played it for me. He said, right there. I said, wow, I didn't even know that, you know. And then he came out, and next to it, it got so big so fast, he had the same drum set as me. And then we were alternating bill. That means some, some gigs I would open with the fudge, some gigs he would open with Zeppelin. So I always thought how funny it looked for the audience. No matter who opened up, let's say Fudge opened up, I'm playing my drums, they take my drums off, and then they bring his drums yeah. on. It's the same drum set. Did he use double bass then? Yeah, he used double he used bass double then. Bass for a while. Yeah, he used double bass on that particular tour. Yeah. And I said, the audience must think they were, the roadies were crazy. You know, they take one off, exactly the same setup. You know, and uh, Paige and Plant told him he was too busy, he's too busy. with two bass drums. So wow. they said, you got to take one away. You when he did away. that, the Led Zeppelin drum set was born. Mm. The, big, the big drums with one bass drum, you know. And I had the same thing. So you see videos where he's playing a blonde <clears throat> drum set. That's the kid I got for him, you know. And we became friends, you know. And I think I told the story with the, with the, before with the... Uh, then he wanted me to recover his old kid. <laughs> I said, well, you ship it to Brooklyn. I'll take good care of it. <laughs> uh, 
It's funny. And one other uh, quick thing with them. We, we were doing on that tour when he had the same drum set. Uh, you know, they were opening up before us, and, and, uh, and how many more times they would do this, uh, like Robert Plant and, and, and Jimmy Page would do this thing with the, the bow and the vocals, and ah, mm -hmm. ah, ah, like for 10 minutes, you know? So Bonzo and John, Bonham, uh, John Paul Jones would come off the stage. So Bonzo comes up to me, he goes, hey, you wanna have some fun? I go, what? He goes, instead of us going up, why don't you and Tim go up? You know the arrangement? I go, yeah, we know the arrangement. We've seen it enough. She says, all right, so you go up, and we'll see if they even know the difference. <laughs> okay. So we sneak up, and we know when the cue is. So I go, so Robert starts singing, and he looks over, he goes, like, <laughs> he goes over the page and elbows him. And he goes, look, look he looks at him, there's me and Tim playing the song. <laughs> and the audience loved it. So then we went on, and when we played Shotgun, they all came on and, and jammed with us. Oh, Bonzo cool. was playing the floor Tom Tom next to me. You know, Mark Stein had uh, Jimmy Page playing the organ with him. Jimmy Page had his amp on the stage, so he just plugged into his amp. And uh, it was great. You know, and Robert Plant sang with Mark you know, and Vinny, wow. whoever sang the song, Timmy. That's really no, it was cool. Timmy sang the song, so Robert was over singing with Timmy. Do you have a question? It's great yeah. times. When you're using Axis, do you go straight to Dio after Axis? Axis? Yeah. No, I, um, I played with Rick Derringer, and then first I played with John Lennon when I was really young. Did some stuff with John you Lennon. tell him that story. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the way I hooked up with John Lennon is... Uh, a friend of ours was Jimmy Iovine, who produced <coughs> Lennon and beat, Beats my Audio and uh, Interscope Records. He was a good friend from Brooklyn, and he heard the band. The guitar player was friends with him, so he took us into Record Plant Studios. It was a nine-piece band with four horn players. He took us to Record Plant. We did some demos, and um, they liked us so much. The owner of the the plant so, uh, signed us to a management deal, gave us to a, a room on the tenth floor to rehearse big room in Manhattan for free. So we had access to it all the time. And uh, so we're up there rehearsing and stuff, and Jimmy was producing John. And the phone rings one night. Hello? Jimmy goes, can you guys come down and do hand claps for this session? Yeah, sure. So we all go down, nine of us. We walk in the studio. There's <laughs> John Lennon. I'm like, fuck. Wow. Shit. <laughs> Boom. I'm 16. So... Holy shit. We put the headphones on. Now he's talking to you. Oh, nice. Telling you what he's looking for on the song. And I'm going, oh my God. I'm definitely not going to school tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> this is too big. So we did hand claps on the song, Whatever Gets You Through the Night. That's me and my band on that song. Wow. And then. Uh, so we freaked out. You know, we finished. We went and said hi. You know, bump, bump, bump. We didn't get fanboyish with them, and then we left. You know, we went back up to the room. We were freaking out. And next day, I think I didn't go to school. I <laughs> skipped a day. Yeah. I blame it on Carmine. Tell my mother. Carmine said I could skip a day. <laughs> so then we're we're playing, and a, a day or two later, we're playing in the room, and John walks in. He sits down on the steps and watches us rehearse and play and he really liked us and holy shit you know cramps you know when he walked in you're like you can't play anymore <laughs> wow. and then we got to start hanging out with him 
because we never did the fanboy thing. So uh, um, there was a pool table in the next room. We played pool with him. He felt safe. That's why he kept coming back. Yeah. And he really liked the band. So I'm sitting there. I smoked joints with him. He wanted Coke, but I didn't do Coke. Mm-hmm. I said, I got this great pot, you know, and roll a joint. I'd smoke with him. And so I, I, we're talking about Italian food. So I tell them my family, you know, my grandparents are from Italy. My mother makes a lasagna. Grandma's upstairs making the meatballs. And I said, I'll, make, I'll have my mother make you some, right? And a couple days later, I bring in a tray of lasagna. And I see John. I go, this is for you. This is from my mother. And he takes, the, takes it. Thank you. Oh, it was great. Blah, blah, blah. And he went away. And then uh, that was that. And then... And then the story continues. So I'm playing with Rod Stewart five nights at the garden. And the last night we had a party. The last day, John Lennon and I don't know who he was with, his wife at the time. May Pang. May Pang. Come to, come to, the, uh, to the party we had, at, you know, wherever we had it. And my mother and father came to see me with Rod. So my mother and father came to the party with me. So my mother goes, hey, isn't that John Lennon over there? I go, my yeah. mother's a little, you know, little chubby yeah, Italian, Italian woman. She had, I said, yeah, that's John Lennon. Not goes, intimidated. Uh, and I met him that day. You know, I didn't get to know him, but I met him. We talked about, you know, Vinny hanging out with him and stuff. And, and I said, yeah, that, that's him. She goes, you know, I made him some lasagna. I never found out if he liked it. <laughs> I said, okay. I'll go over there. Hey, John. It's Vinny and my parents, my father, my mother. Mary and Charlie, and he goes, oh, nice to meet you. So my mother says, oh, yeah, I made the lasagna. I just want to know if, if you liked it. And he goes, oh, what is British accent. I loved it. It was fantastic. So my mother says, could I have my pan back? <laughs> <laughs> and we never got it back. We never got it back. <laughs> we think Yoko's got it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, right? I couldn't believe it. I was in shock when she said that. Man. I went, Mom. Like, I think I'll bring the Pam back. Maybe Carmine's, <laughs> Vinny's mother's going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Walks in so Madison Square Garden with the Pam. <laughs> tell, tell him about the day in school after Lennon. School? Oh, you, the, oh, yeah. When you went to school. So, so then we started working with him. Yeah, he asked us to do uh, three videos that's on his DVDs with my band, some in those. And then he produced the owner of the record plant's wife, eight songs, So as him as a producer. He rewrote some of the lyrics for my our band, my band, and uh, so we got to know him really well. Eventually, we did the, uh, this show in New York City, and it was for at the New York Hilton. It was a tribute to Sir Lou Grade. That was a guy in England that was a big entertainment dude, and John didn't like him. He thought he was two faced. So John said, "Look, I want you guys to do the show with me, and then, uh, but I want you." We're going to make masks of your face and put them on the back of your head with no hair. Mm. And you're going to wear black drum suits. He's going to wear red. Two-faced. So next day, whenever the day was, we get in the van with John and go get the faces made. They put wax, you know, casting on your face. We did that. We got fitted for the jumpsuits with him. (laughs) He was, like, hanging out with him. And uh, so I was doing all this stuff with him. And then that show, we did it, and it was taped and broadcast live around the world. Mm. Um... I found out a couple of years ago that was his last live appearance. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I did his last live appearance? A kid from Brooklyn? Holy shit. So I used to go into school in between all this the next day, <clears throat> be with him at night, and then go back to school, 16, 16 and a half. 
and the teacher would be teaching. And while she's teaching, she's hearing, you know. Banging yeah. on the desk. Banging yeah. on the desk. Yeah. I'm like rocking out. Wait, wait, wait. Who's that drumming? Vincent, can you stop that drumming? And I'd stand up and I'd go, excuse me, did anyone else in this room play with one of the Beatles last night? <laughs> <laughs> and I got up and I left. I quit school. You dropped Somebody's the mic. going to be saying that about you guys tomorrow morning. <laughs> when, at he, when he said a kid from Brooklyn, I, I got to I got to tell you a really wild story too. This has nothing to do with John Lennon, but when we played with Rod Stewart in L.A., Rod Stewart always had. Uh, we played six nights at the Forum. There was everybody: Tony Curtis and this one, Fred Astaire, Gregory Peck, and you know, all these legendary actors, and you know, Kiss and. You know, Phil Collins, everybody came to see us. So so one day we're there, and I see Gregory Peck and Fred Astaire there. And I said, wow, that's unbelievable, you know? So anyway, so we finished the thing. Then Rod gets married to Alana, right? And I went to the wedding party. So I pull up. I figured I'm going to... You know, like I pulled up in the Pantera in Brooklyn. I'm going to pull up in my Jag to this wedding party because it's, it's at uh, Alan, Alan uh, the producer of Grease, whatever his name is. You know, he had a big mansion in Beverly Hills. I pulled up in my Jag. I get out. And I'm talking to people. I see this guy walking towards me. He's a big guy. He comes over. And it's fucking Gregory Peck. He comes over and he puts out his hand. And he goes, hi, I'm Gregory. I see. I know who you are. <laughs> I said, my mother would die if she was here. <laughs> so he goes, yeah, I'm Gregory Peck, you know, and I was at your show uh, at the forum. I just want to tell you, you know, I'm sitting with Fred Astaire, and when you did your drum solo, Fred Astaire turned to me and said, this is the greatest drum solo since Gene Krupa. Nice. And I said, wow. Fred Astaire said that about me? He says, you know, he's a drummer. I said, I didn't know that. And I'm thinking, fucking Gregory Peck is telling you this shit. <laughs> you know? So I was like, whoa. So then he said, oh, man, he's a drummer. He, but he doesn't know how to play this rock stuff you do. I said, wait, I got a book. <laughs> it's called Realistic Rock. It'll teach him how to play rock. He says, oh, that's great. Why don't you drop it off at my house, Gregory? who lived next door to Rod. <laughs> he says, next time you're at Rod's rehearsing. I said, okay. So I go to Rod's house and rehearse. I get the book. I sign, to Fred. I hope this helps you play rock. Good luck. Love you. Carmine, a piece. I should have said apathy, but I said a piece. <laughs> anyway. right, they know the story. Yeah, we know the story. So, so... They have these gigantic gates in these Beverly Hills mansions. And, and the, the doors are huge, you know? So I said, okay. So he said, just ring the bell. I'll buzz you in, you know? I said, okay. So I ring the bell. The gates open. I walk up the hill to these giant doors. And Gregory comes out, you know? And he's like six foot three, you know? And I say, hi, Greg. Here's the book. He goes, oh, that's great. Fred's going to love it. I said, wow, okay. So, you know, he gave me a hug. I gave him the book. I go back to Rod's house. I'm, I'm like, this is, how cool is this, right? Yeah, I just yeah. gave Fred Astaire my book. And about two weeks later, I get an envelope at Rod's house. This is Ava Productions. 
I don't know what it was. It had no address or nothing on it. Just this Carmine piece. And uh, Rod's publicist gave it to me. So I ripped the envelope up. It's a fucking letter from Fred Astaire. He says, Dear Carmine Apiece, thank you for the book with the great message. I've enjoyed your work many times. Love, Fred Astaire. <laughs> wow. And in my book, I wrote, I was just so blown away. Here I am, a kid from Brooklyn, you know, with Hollywood royalty, getting a letter from him, thanking him to give me my book. You know, I was like, whoa. I made it now. Yeah. yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. It's cool here that even guys like you have had times in your lives where even you've been starstruck. I mean, everybody oh, yeah. does it to you, but it's cool to see that you guys have experienced it too. It's just like the time me and Vinny smoked a joint with Buddy Rich. Buddy Rich. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> that was funny, right? Yeah. Should we tell that story? Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. But it started with me. My manager wanted it. Was Buddy Rich was playing to start with. My manager wanted me to play with Buddy Rich and his band. I told him, I don't want to fucking do that, you know? So he, so he talked to the Star Wars owner, and he said, yeah, that'd be great. So I don't know what they told Buddy, but anyway, it fell apart. So so we said, let's go see Buddy Rich at the Star Wars. So we go see Buddy Rich. That's a club, the, in, in a club in Hollywood. Yeah. So we're in the VIP area. So Buddy's daughter comes out, Kathy, so I knew. She says, oh, come on, you came? And I said, yeah, I came. Why? He goes, man, my father's pissed at you. <laughs> I said, Why? He says, well, because you challenged him to a drum battle. I said, I freaking challenged him to a drum battle. You know? Who would do that? Yeah. Exactly, right? Oh, thank you. Anyone ever hear the Buddy Rich uh, bus <laughs> tapes? Oh, you ever hear legendary. the bus tapes? Yeah, it, so it's ridiculous. I said, you know, I'm not going to challenge your father to a drum battle. He's like my idol, you know? So... She goes, well, come on in and talk to him. I said, no freaking way, not if he's pissed off at me. I heard the bus tapes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right? So, so she goes, ah, oh, come on, come on. I said, Vinny, you come with me. Again. <laughs> right? So we both go in. And, and, and she said, hey, buddy, this is Carmine. He was going to play with you. Oh, you mean like that other asshole, Ginger Baker, challenging me to a drum battle? <laughs> I said, look, buddy, it's not like that. And I explained to him what happened. He goes, that's it? I go, yeah, that's it. And he goes, you smoke? I said, no, I don't smoke. You smoke? I said, no, I don't smoke. He said, but do you smoke? <laughs> I said, what do you mean, pot? He goes, yeah. I said, yeah, I smoke pot. And he said, yeah, I smoke pot. So he reaches in his pocket. I'll never forget, it was a, a big one. wrapped in chocolate papers. <laughs> he puts it in his mouth, lights it, hand, takes a hit, hands it to me. I take a hit. I go, I fucking don't believe this. I'm smoking a joint with Buddy Rich. Give it to Vinny. Vinny's thinking the same thing. Right? And then we get smashed. We're fucking zonked. Zonked. <laughs> Buddy goes on, just plays his ass off. Flawless. Unbelievable. And we're both sitting there looking at each other. How the fuck is he doing that? Wow. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, so we got to wind this up. Or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a great need. story. That's a good way yeah, to go out, I think. Yeah, it's late. 2.30. This has been a... a <laughs> no, it's actually 4.30. <laughs> Why don't you guys get a new clock? Yeah, I don't yeah. know what's up with the clock. <laughs> He's going to fix it. Uh, but <laughs> Turn it upside down. It'll be closer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can't thank you guys enough for being yeah. a part of this, and thank you guys That's for fun. coming out for yeah, this. Thank you, guys. Great story. Thank, you, guys. thank you so much. We enjoyed doing this, telling the story. We got tons of stories. Yeah. I mean, that's not even yeah. the whole. We barely scratched. Yeah, if you want to hear any more of my stories, I have a book called "Stick It: My Life of Sex, Drums, and Rock and Roll." 
And you can get it on Amazon. You can get autographed copies on my website. Vinny, don't have a book yet. I'm going to have a book soon, but it's going to be like, uh, you know, and in the 80s, the next page is blank because I forgot. And then a couple of pages, then there'll be a meatball stain. I'm going to put gravy stains on it. Keep continue it. Right. And he's not It's kidding. hard to remember all this stuff. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks again. Awesome. Thank, you Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.